This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Did someone try to sneak some food or sneak some things in? Yeah. Who was that? Well, so me, Matt Hancock and Sue won the trip to the beach. And yeah, so there was like a a big barbecue, like steak, sausages and everything. So I put a steak in my hat, wrapped up in my hat and put my hat on. Matt had uh, two sausages up his sleeves. Um, Don't think anybody (laughs) ate them. Literally, there was 30 players and I was the worst player. I remember I never got selected again for four years. How did you deal with that rejection at the time? If you took the ball past their precious son, it'd be like, get that girl, like, hurt them and all this. So I'd come off the pitch, like, crying. Why has it been so difficult just to even gain acceptance, let alone any type of equality? Were the points where you felt like, it's easy for me to give in, it's easy for me to not do this? I'm going to be doing a little bit of coaching at Man City. I think it got blew up a bit as if I'm going to be Pepsi. Assistant. I, I remember going into that tournament and I was nervous. There was constantly that kind of question mark over us, like, can I still do it? We've never had a wedding day <laughs> announcement on the overlap. Are you going to give us one? <laughs> well, we're going to see an England legend and the queen of the jungle. Yes, Jill Scott. She's a bubbly character, great personality, uh, knowledgeable. Jill will have grown up in a time whereby she probably wouldn't have even been welcome to play football, let alone well-funded, let alone good facilities. So, you know, I'm very aware of sort of the fight and the struggles that women have had in this country to gain equality. You know, to be gay in women's football is the norm, and as it should be. Whereas in men's football, we are struggling like mad to create an environment where people feel comfortable and they can live their normal lives transparently without fear of criticism, without fear of being mocked. And that's why we say we're trying to create an inclusive game in men's football, but the reality of it is we've got already women's football that do that. There is an example sitting right next to us and yet we still struggle in some ways to be able, in every way really, to make people feel comfortable about their sexuality. And for Jill, obviously, people know about the jungle, people know about the fact she's done media work, she's going into coaching, but she's also acquired, with her partner Shelley, a coffee shop in Manchester called Box to Box, and we think that Phil Foden's been there, De Bruyne. I'm probably the worst football player ever to set foot in this coffee shop. Right, let's go. Box to Box, decaf, shot, Syrups. How are we? Welcome to Buckingham. Are they hoodies? I'm the wear one. What size? Yes, extra small men. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've never seen anyone make a coffee in a shop where they've weighed the actual coffee before. You've only... There we go, we're on. This is it. This is this the one. Is it. So to get a good smell, the side put like cup your hand. Just forget. <laughs> Could just hold <laughs> Let's go. This is the test now, isn't it? I'm go for it. Go for it. It is different. Yeah, it feels more authentic and original. Do you think if we did three cups of coffee and did them differently, you'd be able to tell the difference between each? Yeah, I think so. That yeah. would be good, actually. Yeah, OK, we'll try it. Right, here we go. Come on. So you have got to demonstrate whether you are really knowledgeable about coffee or not. So you've okay. got three coffees there. These look lovely, don't they? They look absolutely fantastic. And you've got to tell us which one each is. OK. I can't pull a face, but because it's like our coffee, but I'm, I would never have that, and I think it's just a black Americano, is it? Yeah. Yeah, but that's because you're young. When you get a little bit older, your taste buds change. You know that, don't yeah. you? Yeah. But would you just have black Americano or a bit of milk? There was a point where I had black Americano. That is nice. I think you'll like that, though. I really like it. You like it? Yeah. yeah. Do you know something? I had one before. A little you bit with milk. That. I really like that. Yeah. Cheers. This Cheers. looks more like so my kind of thing. It's like a cream cake. I don't know if that's a mocha or a cappuccino. Oh. Is that a cappuccino? No. No, it is. I don't want it to win, but yeah, it's a cappuccino. Just a you can't <laughs> lie. I don't want it to win, so I'm just going to lie. No, it's a cappuccino. Yeah, that's nice. That Americano is amazing, by the way. God, I'm going to be like this later. <laughs> right, let's see what this is. Right. This is my drink, what I usually get. It's got to be a flat white, yeah? Yes. Yes, three out of three. That would have been bad if I hadn't got it, though. No, I know. I should have made a blindfold, should I? You can I? have that one. Don't Thank, waste thanks it. Thanks for that. There you go. <laughs> Jill Scott knows a coffee. Sometimes. Jill Scoffee? <laughs> that should be the name of the shop. <laughs> my God, we've just changed the world. <clears throat> Cheers. 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 Football doesn't open its arms out to women in the northeast of England yeah. or any part of England when you were growing up. No. How tough was that? It was tough. Like, I got bullied quite a lot. Were the points where you felt like, it's easy for me to give in? It's easy for me to not do this? Right, Jill, talk to us about striding for perfection. So, obviously, you get the name of the shop, why it's box to box. I get that. Yeah, because midfielders running and then... And you were a running midfielder, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I run was. Box to box. Couldn't really play football. I just had a good engine. <laughs> I would work hard. And then, obviously, there's a saying, striving for perfection. Yeah. But I always think that you can never really reach perfection. So I do like that saying in general. And then with it being box to box, I was like, instead of striving, let's have striding. So you're so, always yeah. trying to get there. Yeah, but I don't know if you can ever be perfect. Do you think you can? I Did you ever play with any players where you were like, they're perfect? Do you know you said David Beckham was your favorite? When he kicked a football, it was a little bit like perfection. Yeah, yeah. But you, no, one's ever, no one's perfect. Yeah, and that's why I like that. And then one day I was like, oh, striding, because it's box to box. You are incredibly driven, aren't you? Yeah, I am driven, yeah. I think from a very young age, like, I think when you talk about when I first started playing football, everything was kind of against you because there wasn't girls playing football and stuff yeah. like that. But I was quite a stubborn kid, and if I wanted to do something, I'd, like, give it my all. So, 
Yeah, I am driven. Does that come from your upbringing, your parents, your family? I think so. Like, my mum has a lot of conversations with us where she's like, I wish I did more with you when you were younger. Like, <clears throat> you know, on a weekend, take it to the fair or the park. She was like, but you yeah. always just wanted to be playing football. And some days, like, because there was like three, four of us, I'd just have to get myself to football. And then sometimes she didn't even know that I'd been to football. Yeah. But when I got home, I didn't have to talk about it. I didn't have to say I'd played well or I hadn't. And I said to her, without knowing, she was probably the best thing for us because I became quite independent from a young age, which I think helped us when I got older. And then also, like, I never had them home stresses. You know, some kids are under pressure, yeah. aren't they? Like, how did you play today? You should have done that, you should have done that. Yeah. And my coach has always said, as I got older, I had, like, this real natural ability for, like, switching on at a certain point. So I was always the one in the changing rooms, like, laughing, messing around. But as soon as we crossed that white line, I was just, like, a different person. And it got us in trouble when I was younger because they said that you've got to be careful not to have that impact on the players around you yeah. because you might be able to do that, but they might not be able to. I could never so, laugh before a game. Could you not? No. Yeah. You'll tell. <laughs> before a game, during, after. <laughs> I was only joking. <laughs> You're laughing Ever. now, though. <laughs> but no, were but you I, really serious? Yeah, because I just didn't think that football was... I don't get it now when I see players laughing in the tunnel yeah. or laughing on the pitch. And I, I don't get it because I never thought anything was funny about going out there with the fear of maybe making a mistake or giving a goal away. I suppose that's a defensive mentality as well. But yeah. I always felt it was a bit of a a bit of a pressure and I didn't feel relieved until the end of the game and it was over and we'd won. Yeah, but I get what you mean. Like in the tunnel, I'd, I never liked when players went out before and they'd be like chatting to the yeah. mate, you know, the, on the opposition yeah. team. I hated all that. And I never used to go out on the pitch before the game. And I'd be like, I'll just stay in the changing room. Yeah. And when I was with my team, I felt like I could have a laugh and yeah. stuff like that. But as soon as we walked out in that tunnel, no, I was yeah. just like, I'm doing everything to win today. And going yeah. back to your mum, did she send you a message or did she say something after the Euro uh, 2020 final? No, so I don't know if that comes from, everyone says to us, who was the first person you messaged after yes. the final? It was my my first coach I had at Everton, ah, okay. Mo Marley, um, who like coached us at England. And she was just a fantastic person that kind of, <clears throat> when the game wasn't professional, she did everything like voluntarily. And as soon as we finished the game, I didn't want to go on my phone. I didn't want to take videos. Yeah. I just wanted to take it all in. But I just sent her a message and said, I think I sent a selfie with my medal and was like, without you, this wouldn't have happened. And yeah. How nice but, is that? Because she coached so many, many yeah. of them players as well. So and she was the only person I wanted to message. You're grounded, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. That's also a good name for a coffee shop, isn't it? <laughs> I think that. You're in well, brand mode today. Actually, we should open, should open the brand the agency. Shop, I'm just in it. Yeah, but you no, are quite, you're grounded, yeah, aren't am. you? I am. I kind of, it's really hard to explain. Like, I feel like, especially last year, I had so many great things happen, but I'm just like little Jill who loved playing football and then got bigger. You're not no, I'm definitely not. I was never that big. I was always this big. But yeah, I'm, I'm in so many moments where I'm like, I have like imposter syndrome, probably like. 80% of my life. You do? Yeah, all the time. Genuinely? Yeah, honestly. Like, when we were in um, Qatar, and I'm the sat around there, and I'm like, there's you, Roy Keane, and I'm just with everyone, and I'm like, right, Jill, just fake it. Like, yeah. No. I know, I do. I, I just think like that. But I also think... Having, is that a confidence thing, or is that just you think, I thinking that... I don't know. I don't know. I think it's because it's people that you've, like, grown up watching on the TV yeah. and stuff like that, and then, like, your life changes so that you're in them positions, but... Do you know yeah. you're more famous than us? No, I'm definitely not. Definitely you are? Not. <laughs> no, I think there's kind of... 
been times over the years where you kind of see people that aren't like that and I just think it's like a really like ugly trait sometimes so what I think is? it's probably not, not being grounded you well mean? yeah just like probably getting ahead of themselves and, yeah. and stuff like that I don't like it I think you can always just be yourself and treat people nice it yeah. doesn't take much does it what is it that brings you back down to earth in, uh, in your mind because I agree with you and you obviously sometimes you know you win a trophy or you win obviously yeah. you know and I'm a celebrity you could get carried away couldn't you yeah it does go back to probably how I was as a footballer. I always had to work for everything. So I was never that player when I was younger who was the star player. You know, when you're like 8, 9, 10, yeah. 11, 12, I was never the one scoring all the goals and had the best boots. And yeah. like, I always had to work for everything. So I think I've seen some of them players kind of get older and they really struggled, you know, when they didn't get selected and yeah. stuff like that. I was kind of used to it. So... I think with my life, when I've come out of football, I've still got that mentality of I've got to work really hard, like yeah. don't take anything for granted. So, yeah, I do think it probably reflects how I was as a player. How did growing up in Sunderland impact the way in which you are? I think Sunderland, from a young age, I think you have to like football. It's, it's weird. Like Sunderland v Newcastle was like, our household was split. So my brother's Newcastle, I'm Sunderland. How's that happen? Because my dad's side of the family was Newcastle, oh, Newcastle and my mum's okay. was Sunderland. So my dad tried to kind of forces to support Influence. Newcastle, yeah. And then when I went to school, I just got bullied so much. I was like, I'm supporting Sunderland. But he really stuck with it. So, yeah, football was just in us, like, from being seven, eight, nine. I had a season ticket for Sunderland. It was, like, the biggest part ever, going to watch Sunderland men on a Saturday and then having my game on a Sunday. So, yeah, and I, I do think the players from there, you've got a lot from the North East, Jordan yeah. Nobbs, Lucy Bronze, Carly Telford, Demi Stokes, Beth Mead, who all went on to play for England. And I do think if you look at all them players, there's like a, a really big work yeah. ethic. So I don't think that's by chance. I just think that you always had to train and you couldn't yeah. have the gloves and the hats on. And it'd be like, you're from Sunderland, like toughen up. And I think it was just instilled in you from a young age, really. And in terms of your upbringing, Football doesn't open its arms out to women in the northeast of England yeah. or any part of England when you were growing up. No. How tough was that in a sort of masculine environment in the northeast of England to be, you know, a young girl playing football at that time? Yeah, it was tough. Like, I got bullied quite a lot, really. I even remember my first day at senior school. This lad, he was shouting at us, like, you must be a boy because you play football. And I just went to chase after him and his friend tripped us up and I smashed my elbow into, like, three pieces on, like, my first day at school. So when I look back, them moments, like, were really tough. And I found it really hard to open up and say how I was feeling because especially in them early years of my career, we were taught, like, don't ever show that you're disappointed and, yeah. like, be strong and all this. And... I think as I got older, I realised that the strongest people were the ones that showed Spoke emotion up. and was saying, look, I'm getting bullied, I'm struggling. But yeah, it was it was really tough. But then there moments where I picked my football boots up and I was training, I was in the back lanes like playing football. Yeah. I was just so happy that they kind of overrode yeah. all them other things. And so. you were playing with the boys at that time, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And, and to be honest, the, the boys I was playing with, they, they were lovely. Like, yeah. we were good friends. And a lot of my friends now are male because I think I played football with yeah. them a lot and we just had this kind of understanding. In the early, early days, it was probably the parents more so who, if you took the ball past their precious son, then they'd, like, shout things. And I was only eight or nine and it'd be like, 
get that girl, like hurt her and all this. And what? I'd come Parents off the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd come off the pitch like crying. And I bumped into one, one of my old coaches last week and he said, I remember taking you off the pitch so many times because I was just crying. But I say I always went back because I just, I couldn't have imagined life without football. How did you get through those early years playing at this old age of eight <laughs> and nine when you're being bullied, you're being kicked, you're being well, abused yeah. off parents on the touchline? Were there points where you felt like, it's easy for me to give in. It's easy for me to not do this. Never. I don't think that ever crossed my mind because I just loved it so much. Yeah. So when I got back from them games, I was just then back in the bat lanes with my friends kicking yeah. the ball about and I probably just forgot about it, which I think at an early age, I was building up resilience without even knowing it. I never remember thinking, oh, I want to stop doing this. It was almost like there was never that decision to play football. I felt like it was just in us. Age five, I went to school for the first year and seen boys playing football and I was like I want to do that and from that day on that was all I wanted to do. Do you feel proud that <clears throat> your generation have unlocked the door and you've suffered in every single way that you did but actually you've made it better for now the obviously the upcoming generations with everything that you, do you feel do you feel it was all worth it? Yeah 100% I think the biggest thing now like standing here is knowing that like another young girl who's maybe five or six won't have to go through them early years of the journey. She can just get her first football boots, get her stripped, she can go to football, she can be happy. She's not going to get any of that. She can speak proudly. If someone says to her, girls can't play football, she's got fighting yeah. taught, like, well, did you see them win the Euros? And yeah. that's honestly what makes us like so happy. And I'd go through it all again to make it better for the next generation because I think I felt like I, I had kind of the tools and the resilience this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As the years went on to get through it, and I'd take that for them not to have to go through it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of, like, my generation, but also there's a whole other generation before that who taught me that as well. So, yeah, that's what makes us smile the most, definitely. Good. We're going to have, Jill... Some cake. Honestly, so which one are you having? I, if, you're, if you say... You're could you eat a full one of them? Or should I, we go half and half? I could, but I could have half of the Kinder one. Yeah. I mean, how what, good so you do want they one look? and a half, so I get half. <laughs> so I'll you have want one and a half. half. This is and mine, isn't it? I'll just have a bite. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get like this for nothing. I'll, yeah. And have half of that with you. Okay. Yeah. Let's sit down and we'll get yeah, a knife. Cool. I remember going into that tournament and I was nervous. There was constantly that kind of question mark over us, like, can I still do it? Why has it been so difficult just to even gain acceptance, let alone any type of equality?
Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. This is just a quick thank you to Skybet, our partners, for making this show happen. It's something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Please subscribe, there's loads more episodes coming up and I hope you're enjoying it. Right, Jill, before we start talking a little bit more about your football career, who's going to cut the cakes? Oh, I've never done it before you will, Al. You want me to do it? Come on. Right, here we go. This is a Kinder Blondie, Kinder. and then that's a Lotus one. I'm but trying... I can never eat a full one. No, no halves with you. Oh, my God. I know. That is lovely, to be fair. It's unbelievable. Should we just show footage of you eating cake for an hour? Please. <laughs> <laughs> right, so... I have a little understanding of how difficult it would be for a woman to succeed in sport. Because mm -hmm. of my sister and my mum being kicked out of a football team in the 70s, the boys' football team, and it making the local news. My sister fighting for funding. Yeah. And money and facilities all the way through her netball career. Why has it been so difficult just to even gain acceptance, let alone any type of equality in it? Yeah, I've asked myself this question a lot recently, especially since you talk about the government, obviously, saying that girls can play football the same amount of time in PE as boys. And when I think about it, I'm like, when did that ever become a thing that they couldn't? Like, when did someone decide that football was for boys? So I struggle with that question sometimes because for me, it's like, if a kid likes doing sport, truly it doesn't matter if they're male or female, but there's been so many battles along the way when you speak about netball from a footballer's point of view. I remember 2009, we had the Euros final, which was exactly the same as the one we just had. Yeah. But obviously it's gone back like, how many years is that? Years, yeah. yeah, 13 years or something. And it's like, I remember at that time we were playing Germany in this final, they were full-time professionals and I think we didn't even like get paid for going away or anything. People were teachers, there were lecturers about to go and play in that final. So we knew that there was kind of like a big gap. And then that was when they introduced central contracts, which meant that England players, I think it was £16,000 were received per year, which meant that you could what, do 2009? it. Yeah, 2009, which meant that you could just reduce your work and hours, but we still weren't full-time professionals. So. I turned full-time when I was 26. Just talk to us a little bit about your experience at Everton, what you had to go through personally. Yeah. Just, just to even get to training, let alone play matches. Yeah, in them early years, that was probably what the difficult part was. I was coaching up in Sunderland, and then we used to get the last slot, 8 till 10, after all the boys' academy and everything. So I used to travel two and a half hours, maybe three hours in traffic after coaching, train 8 till 10, and then head all the way back up, get back 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and then have coaching again. So... We were down there about two times in the week and then down for games. But even that, when I think about it, I used to drive three hours on a Sunday. This was playing like the equivalent of Premier League football. Drive myself three hours, get out the car, warm up and play a game. Like, that would just be unheard of now. I would never do three hours driving, even three days before a game. How did your game develop when you moved from Everton, which was obviously you know, a real struggle for you just to get there, to obviously become someone who was far more professional at Manchester City. Yeah, I remember turning up at Manchester City and I kept saying, the wash our kit and I'm getting my breakfast this morning. I'd, I'd ring my mum and we'll get lunch after and it's a hot lunch, it's not a packed lunch. And I remember getting told by the manager, like, Jill, stop saying this in interviews because you need to sound like you deserve it and it's equal. 
But yeah, you're probably embarrassing the rest of the game. Yeah, to be honest I with think you, I, but I was just like I couldn't believe it. I couldn't yeah. believe I was going into football and this was my job but to they're the, play but they're football. The base, they're the basics of being a professional football. But it's incredible. But, yeah, it was for the men's side, yeah. but for us it, it wasn't. And I was going into this amazing facility and. I, I just couldn't believe it, honestly. I, I look back at them first two years and I just loved everything about life, everything. I was like, I actually play football full-time. But, yeah, in terms of my own game, my technical side of my game came on so much in that time. I'd always been known as the one that worked hard, the engine room, but then I felt like I could be, look, I can play a little bit as well. And on your England career, you played under, I think, Holt Powell, yeah. uh, Mark Sampson... You so, might know one of them. <laughs> Phil Neville and then obviously latterly through uh, yeah. Serena. How was that journey? Just talk to us about the different coaches and sort of how each of them impacted you. Yeah, all very different, to Careful be honest. Careful the third one. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I'm joking. Um, Hope Powell, very strict, and I was very young when I made my debut. I think I was like 18, 19, so I was kind of a little bit scared of Hope. And she kind of didn't soften the blow when you were coming in. She was just like, right, this is how it's going to be. But... I will say one thing, she was very consistent with her behaviours. So if she was going to be hard on you, she was going to be hard on you kind of that whole time. Did you so. like that as a player, being told what to be instructed? Or did you, at the time, because I, I liked it when yeah. I, I obviously played under a manager who was quite you know, strict with us and told us what he wanted. I like the consistency. I, I don't like managers where you don't know how they're going to be with you from okay. one day to the next. So I did like the consistency in the behaviour, definitely. And then Mark Sampson probably... I felt like we had a respectful relationship in terms of he respected what I did on the pitch. I knew what he wanted. We probably didn't have that kind of, you know, sometimes you can sit, have a coffee, chat and yeah. stuff like that. I felt like it was just a very professional, this is what yeah. this is kind of what I want from you. And I felt like I'd try to deliver that. Phil was very different because I feel like with Phil, he's probably one of the only managers that really understood and kind of got me as a player. So I was a little bit older and I felt like he managed us so well. But I always remember Phil was one of the first managers that he came out. And it's not that I felt like I wanted this or needed it, but he came out and he, he did an article and just said like really nice things and really made us feel like I was kind of wanted and that he thought I was a good player. And throughout my career, I was like, oh, I don't need that. I was really uncomfortable with praise. If someone was like, oh, you're doing well, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's down to the other players and all this. But when he came out and actually did that, I feel like 2019 was my best tournament. And I feel like he got another 20, 30% out of us just by kind of feeling like I was important to the team. So, yeah, I really did. I know I have to say it because I'm sat with you, but <laughs> you as, a, as a manager, I, I did really like Phil and... There was times even where we'd have fitness testing and he'd go to me and Kaz, he'd be like, I know you can run, you're like 32, 33 now. I don't want you to do fitness testing then after miss two days training, I need you on the grass. And I just felt like he got it. So, yeah, he was, he was a really good manager. And then, obviously, Serena. I speak about Serena that she kind of... You could sit and have a coffee with her, chat about family... But then she also had that when I crossed the white line, I had a bit of fear, like I had to perform, I had to do well. Why did you get over the line eventually? What was the difference? It was such a driven group of players. I remember going into that tournament and I was nervous. I think people think when you get older, you get less nervous, but I felt more pressure because I was like, people are going to expect you to perform. You're getting a bit older. Are you still at that level? There was constantly that 
kind of question mark over us, like, can I still do it? But you know what? The girls were just like, they're so humble and so grounded, all of them, the younger players, like the talent is out of this world, but they don't even realise it themselves. And I think from game to game, they just looked like they were enjoying it, they were winning. And I felt like I didn't even have to see anything because I was like, just don't see anything. Everything's going well. And you don't want to add pressure onto them. Because going into that final, I could have been like, girls, this is the biggest game of our, you know, as an older player, yeah, yeah. biggest game of our lives, got the whole nation behind us. Like, we can change women's football for the better. Yeah. And, but it was just like another game. We were on the bus, we were going down Wembley and we could see all the crowds. The girls are like, oh, look at her with the face paint. Look, she's got Beth Mead's shirt on. And then they just went on the pitch and just performed. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. One of the most impressive things of the final was the last few minutes of that game where you played basically they kept the ball in the corner yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of obviously managing and controlling the game was unbelievable she had a plan for everything serena i think that was one thing i realized like even when you speak about that moment in the final i remember coming on and i was quite happy they were keeping it in the corner because i was just kind of instructing behind but i remember even watching that and it was chloe lucy alessia ella Toon. And it was just like watching our five-a-side games at the end of every session. Like, you were coached to do that then, Well, you? I think, I just think the players just kind of, in their moments, were sent over them players who would have been the best kind of five-a-side players, you know, yeah, fast yeah. feed, keeping the ball. And I was just watching, thinking, this is incredible. But even that final, we played Germany in the Arnold Clark Cup in February. And I think it was a home tournament, so we kind of selected the nations. And I think by beating Germany, we then had the belief to beat them. Obviously, they didn't know we were going to get them in the final, yeah. but probably predicted it could go that way. What is your low moment? What is the moment where you feel in your life you were at your lowest? Literally, there was 30 players and I was the worst player. I remember I never got selected again for four years. How did you deal with that rejection at the time? Right, Jill, we have a section on the overlap called failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. Yeah. Meaning that obviously you hit lows, but they're never permanent, you come out of them. Mine was, it was sent to me actually after I lost my job in Valencia, which was a pretty poor performance from me. Yeah. What is your low moment? What is the moment where you feel in your life you were at your lowest, whereby it was very difficult for you to come out of it? And how did you come out of it? There was a lot of losses along the way, definitely more than successes. But I think probably when you ask us that question, I go back to when I was 14, 15. I got picked for England under 16s for the first time. And I went on this camp and I thought, oh, I'm doing well at Sunderland and everything. And I got on that camp, Kaz Carney was there and Yola Maluko. And literally there was 30 players and I was the worst player. I just felt like I was just nowhere near as good as all these players. And I remember I never got selected again for four years. And in them four years, I remember Steph Hort and Carly Telford, I was playing at Sunderland with them. And they'd turn up and they'd be like, did you get picked for the camp this week? And mm. it was like a, like a awful, punch like. in the face. They weren't saying it nastily. No, no, I think no, they no. really wanted us to get selected, yeah. but it was like a punch in the face every time. And I had a few tears behind closed doors. And I think it was a really important part of my career because it was like, you can either give up on that England dream or keep going. And I got picked again when I was 18 for the under 19s. And then I made 
made my senior debut about a year later. So I think there's a lesson in there that players can develop at different times. Um, I wasn't ready at that point, but instead of going, oh, they're just not picking us, I knew I had work to do, put it in, and then obviously got to make my England debut. So I'd say that that did leave a bruise, but then without that, I probably wouldn't have gone on to have the career that I had. It's interesting that because sport is cruel and rejection yeah. is is there for everybody in sport, not being picked, not being picked in a game, not being picked for a squad. How did you deal with that rejection at the time that you, f you were feeling every time you didn't get picked? Just get on with it or did you have anybody that you talked to? Or I did struggle, but um, I had a coach actually called Alan Snowden, who he looked after kind of the reserves at Sunderland. And I remember he used to just tell us to keep going. He never said like, he never kind of fed us a fake story. He was just like, sport is going to be tough. You need to keep working hard. He wasn't like, oh, you're amazing. They should be picking you and all this. And I think that also taught us as my career went on, surround yourself with the people that are going to be honest with you as well. And I've got some good friends. Jennifer Beatty's one of them. And she's not one of them where I say something and she'll just agree with us. She'll disagree and she'll challenge. And I think sometimes them people are the best people for you who will just be truthful. I'm going to be doing a little bit of coaching at Man City. I think I've got blew up a bit as if I'm going to be Pep's assistant. I was speaking to Shelley before and she said that she was waiting for a date off you. <laughs> We've never had a wedding date announcement on the overlap. Are you going to give us one? <laughs> Looking at the sort of post-football career, you obviously got the coffee shop. Yeah. You've obviously gone into the jungle, which was obviously something of a transformational experience for you in some ways. But also, you've got this very serious coaching career. I say serious because being on television, I'm on television, is very different than coaching football yeah. players, isn't it? You know, you, you, the detail and the time and the pressure that you put on yourself. How are you going to manage these two very conflicting sort of careers, which is obviously one is in entertainment and one is a professional sports coach. How, where are you going to settle? Yeah, I think the coaching is a big passion of mine. I, I love coaching. I even did a grassroots session the other day and I had little six-year-olds checking the shoulder before receiving the ball. And I just get a real buzz out of helping people. And obviously the opportunity, I'm going to be doing a little bit of coaching at Man City. I think it got blew up a bit as if I'm going to be Pep's well, assistant. What, I was reading that a yeah. few weeks ago and it was yeah. like, you know, Jill Scott takes the job at City as a coach. No. I'm thinking, oh, right. OK, no. so forget the punditry, forget the other stuff. You're going to be literally every day. No, I think that's the media world, isn't it, right. that we're living. It's going to be more like Girls Boys Academy doing, okay. a, doing a little bit. But I think in terms of the detail that Man City provide, it's kind of so interesting. For me, it opened up this whole new world of football, and that was at the age of 26. So, yeah, I'm, ex I'm excited about that. I really am. Like, I'm obsessed with, like, passing drills, and I'm going to sound so sad, but sometimes I'll sit on a night, even like a Friday night, watching an old Bayern Munich passing drill on YouTube. And, yeah. yeah, just looking at bits of detail. Oh, you and, definitely need to be a yeah, coach then. I, I do, I love it. And I'll have a cup of tea, you know, wild Friday night. <laughs> but I just like little ideas and stuff like that. So I know that's my passion, but I'm just not ready yet to go into like a, yeah. a full, full schedule of football, football, football. Yeah, managing a team, basically. Yeah, well, I haven't, I haven't had an offer, but <laughs> put myself I, out do there. Do you watch the Manchester City first team? Do you watch, what do you watch? The Manchester City women's team train? Do you watch the Manchester City first team train? Have you watched Pep's, any of Pep's sessions, any influences that you have? So a couple of times I did watch a couple of Pep sessions. I took my nephews along to watch a session. 
Obviously, the academy stuff, I think, for the first... I haven't even started yet, but the first few weeks, I'll just be observing and seeing how they work. But I think with Pep, it's, it's really hard to, like, learn from him because he's almost like a genius in his own head. So sometimes you can watch a coach who's very structured and whatever else. I think he's very on emotional intelligence. We'll see a session going one way and then change it. And yeah. do you know what I mean? So there's some coaches you can follow and then some that I think they're just a genius in their own mind. And I see Pep as that. But in terms of being at the academy, I think there's a lot of coaches with good detail. There's a guy who, um, the assistant of Pep, Rodolfo, who we actually had him coach us at the women's team. And I hung on every word he said, the, the detail. I think he used to work at Barcelona and teams like that. And yeah, just little bits of detail he would give just on like receiving in the pockets yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm excited really just to, I'm just gonna go in there and just ask as many questions as I can because I see it as when you embark on your football career, you've got a lot to learn. I'm nowhere near a finished article of a coach, but I know I'll work hard to try and get better. Why the jungle? Because I mean, <laughs> I suppose in some ways it's easy, why? But there is a risk with that, isn't it? You don't know how they're going to edit you. You don't know how yeah. you're going to come across. You don't know how you're going to like it, whether you're going to like it or not, what the other people who are in there are going to be like with you. All those things cross your mind before you went in. No, it didn't, you know. I'm, I'm <laughs> very overthinker? much... No, but yeah, but I'm very much someone that's just, like, in the moment. So I remember being quite busy. And then I was like, oh, next week I'll go in the jungle. What I hadn't happened? even what was the planned. First call? Uh, it was an email, and I thought it was a hoax, to be honest. It was like, hi, Jill, this is I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And then I think I passed it on to my agent, and they were like, well, we've replied, we'll see what they say. And I still feel at that time there was probably a pool of about 30 people. Then you had to have an interview. And even then, it was a few weeks before I heard, so I do think it's a bit of a process. Who are your great friends in there? Uh, Owen, get on really well with Owen, but we just spoke about football all the time, literally. He's a mad Leicester fan and would be making up like my best 11 versus his best yeah. 11. We even did our best 11 like England players of all time, me, Babatunde, him. I think you did make right back actually. Thanks I don't that. think they aired it, but you did. <laughs> you made right back. <laughs> and you know what? I, I got on well with Chris Moyles as well. I don't think they really showed that, but he was really caring. He would look after us, check I was okay. and. Yeah. Were there any awkward moments for you in there that you felt, mm, I don't like? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Like this? No, not, not really. I hated when you got back and you'd been on a challenge and you're covered in cockroaches and awful and you just stink, like you actually stink. And it's nine o'clock at night and you've got to get a cold shower and you're thinking, oh, I wish I could just have a hot shower right now. But it's mad because the things that you probably seem to be complaining about, hunger was a, a big thing. Big problem. You know, as sports yeah. people, we eat very healthy. <laughs> but I'd have, like, say when I was playing like 3,000 calories a day because I'd lose weight. Would you? Yeah, because I'd lose weight quite quickly. And because my job was always to run, I was always burning energy. So I think we went down to about eight, 900 calories of rice and beans. And that was difficult. You just felt so depleted of energy. So there's no, 
There is this thing that, like, all oh, the feeding them pizzas no, off air and all that, that never happens. No, I thought that when I went in, but it definitely doesn't happen. Did someone try to sneak some food or sneak some things in? Yeah. Who was that? Was well, some... so me, Matt Hancock and Sue won the trip to the beach. And, yeah, so there was, like, a, a big barbecue, like, steak, sausages and everything. And I felt so bad that I was there because Owen was oh, so yeah. hungry. And that was it, you snuck some of the food back yeah, in. Yeah, so yeah. I put a steak in my hat, wrapped up in my hat and put my hat on. Matt had uh, two sausages up his sleeves. Um, don't think anybody <laughs> ate them. And then, and then we, we kind of got back into camp and just tried to distribute this food like really slyly. I remember there was some sourdough bread. I ripped it into two, wrapped it in two bits of tissue and shoved it down my bikini top. It's the first time my bikini top had been full. <laughs> and I got back and everyone was like, so you give Owen sourdough bread from your bikini? I was like, look, he would have ate a sausage or anything from anywhere. He was that hungry. But when I think back to some of the moments, I'm like, there was a moment where I'm washing the dishes with Boy George. I always remember this moment. Matt Hancock's on the bike behind us because that provides the water for the dishes with Chris Moyles. And I'm going, Matt, pedal quicker. The water's not coming out quick enough. And George is singing Karma Chameleon. And I was like, if I ever did drugs, is this a scene <laughs> that comes into your head? So George sang us some songs like one night and I'm like, God, people would pay a fortune for this because he's, he's obviously so talented. But yeah, it was just a, a mad experience. Are you political? No, not at all. <laughs> so Even if you were, you wouldn't when, tell me. No, but when I went into... One of my biggest learnings from that jungle is my general knowledge of things in general is terrible. Like, I feel like football is all I know about. So they were talking and about... And coffee. Yeah. And English and poetry. But, well, yeah. But they were talking about, like, movies, music, like, all these amazing actresses, actors. Then there was, like, the politics side. And I'm sitting there with Owen and I'm like, just don't see anything, because I just didn't have a clue what they were going on about. So there was some moments where there was some, like, quite heavy debates, which you've probably only seen about 20 minutes of. Some yeah. of them conversations went on for three hours and I probably just sat there with Owen, like... So the COVID oh, ones with Hancock went on for a long that time? That went on for it? a long time, yeah. Was that but it was, it was a very... Well, I just remember me and Owen sitting together and we just didn't really see anything because, as I say, our knowledge wasn't great. But I remember thinking in that moment because... Charlene had lost her auntie in COVID, so she was very... Oh, there were some people really upset. Oh, yeah, it? very upset. But, but didn't think he should be there. Yeah, but they were so respectful in their moments. That's what I remember thinking. Towards like, him, you mean? Yeah, like asking them questions that they wanted the answers, but was never bullying or, or anything like that. I think they just felt very passionate about what they were saying. So, yeah, there was a few moments in there where I was like, don't ask me a question or, or anything like this. But... When people, sometimes I get asked now, they're like, um, is Matt still in the WhatsApp groups? And I'm like, well, we've got a few WhatsApp groups. And I'm like, well, Most I did learn him how in. to be uh, political in my answers of coming out of it. So, yeah. Matt left the group. <laughs> You're the first LGBTQ plus woman to win the jungle. And I want to ask you about sexuality. Yeah. And why the women's game, it's dealt with correctly. But in the men's game, there are still no male footballers or very few male footballers are willing to come out and say that they're gay because of fear. Yeah. How, how do you look at that from someone who's dealt with it in the right way through the women's game and it's just norm as it should be in, in, not in real life? Yeah, I think the women's game's always allowed you to kind of be yourself. I think when people ask us about the male game, I think it's different for them. Like, I do think crowds can be horrible. I hear some of the chants that go on around certain issues and people are still chanting about things. And I think 
some of the meal players are probably thinking, if I was to come out, I'm just going to get all this extra stick and everything else. And if anything, it makes us sad that they probably feel like they can't be themselves. Because um, obviously, percentages of society, there must be gay male footballers out there. But I think for me, I've never really made it a thing or not made it a thing. When I meet people, I go, this is my partner, Shelley. And obviously, if we're on social media, it's not like a big announcement. No. It's just like, oh, me and Shelley's been on holiday. And the reason I'm kind of like that is I'd like to think for the next generation that they find someone they love, whether it's male, female, and that's just kind of how they live their life. And I'm always like, if people have a problem with someone else being happy, then I'd look more at their life. So, yeah, I've, I am fortunate that in the women's game, I feel like we have just been able to be ourselves, whether you've got a husband, a wife, a partner that's a male, female, there's kind of never really been any issues. And I don't see why in 2023 there should be issues, really. No, and I was speaking to Shelley before and she said that she was waiting for a date off you. <laughs> <laughs> We've never had a wedding date announcement on the overlap. Are you going to give us one? Well, when I went to cut this cake, I was like, this probably will be our wedding in here because the only time we'll see each other is when we're working in the shop. But yeah, we do, we do need to set a day. I think since retiring, she thought I was going to have a, a lot a of free time. time, but it's been more busy than, than when I played. So yeah, we do need to definitely set a day. I think we've been engaged three years now, so she does keep doing this to us, which I think means get a move on. Jill, that was absolutely amazing. I loved it. Thank, thank for the, you. Thank you for the cake. Thank you for the coffee. Thanks. And all the best in the You've future. You've had a great day. Free hoodie and everything. But do I have to have to pay for this? No, Shelley's got the card machine out. <laughs> <laughs>